Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Material Matters with me, Grant Gibson. As regular listeners will know, the idea behind the show is that I speak to a designer, maker, artist or architect about a material with which they're intrinsically linked and discover how it changed their lives and careers. Today I'm in the studio of a ceramicist like no other, Marlena Hartman Rasmussen. The Danish-born but London-living artist creates figurative work that fuses her interest in traditional folklore, fairy tales and film. And while her installations often look brightly poppy on the surface, they usually contain something darker and rather more sinister underneath. And as I think we'll discover, the driving influence behind her pieces is often intensely personal. Hartman Rasmussen was part of the Gerald Makers Open in 2015 and was nominated for the Pierre Jouet Art Salon Prize in 2014. Later this month, she will take a starring role in a major show at Messam's Wiltshire entitled Beyond the Vessel, Narratives and Contemporary European Ceramics, which runs until the 12th of April. Malena, thank you very much for doing this. You're very welcome. Um, should we kick off by talking a bit about the space we're in, the studio? Um, it's quite something. You appear to be missing, well, a roof. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I am. Uh, not to my studio, but to the whole building, uh, because the building's been on fire. Um, but it was before it was made into studios. For the listeners, can you try and paint a picture of where it is that you work? Yeah, it's um, it's uh, next to Seven Sister Station, and it's in an old industrial neighborhood. So there's a lot of like small industry. There's a lot of uh, like uh, people uh, um, fixing up cars and, uh, and and stuff like that. Um, yeah, so it's it's quite like uh, urban. And why Tottenham? Why did you end up here? Uh, it was because we were looking for a, a space, uh, my partner and I, and uh, a space where he can, he's a photographer, uh, and a place where he could shoot also, where he could, uh, where he could uh, that we could, like a live workspace. Right. So we could both uh, live there, and then he could use it as a studio, uh, and then to be close to his children. Mm-hmm. I mean, should we talk about the, the show in Messams? Yeah. Beyond the Vessel? Um, what's the thinking behind the exhibition? Yeah, it's uh, it was a show that was uh, it was shown in uh, in Istanbul right. first, so it just ended here on the twenty second of December, and I worked on the installation for seven months, so most of, of last year I worked on it, uh, and um, yeah, I wasn't really sure I knew what it was about in the beginning, but uh, I knew I wanted to make something with the. With the monsters, with the beast, um, and then slowly it developed into uh, to be uh, an installation that was like a place of worship um, and and central uh, for the installation is a totem pole. And what's on the totem pole? It's um, it's it's kind of like a, a, a kind of stacked uh, being. So the the base is uh, it's a dog like creature, but it looks a bit like a teddy bear dog like a toy dog <laughs> and then on top of that there's a, a head a golden head uh, which is uh, i guess a bit dracula like with the uh, with pointy teeth uh, and then there's a, a hairy creature on top of that and then a golden egg on the very top because it's called i mean the whole installation yeah. that that's the kind of center point and you have yeah. some some other creatures and heads yeah there's a lot of, of different it. monsters there yeah in also also from private collection also so yeah and it's called Phantasma Brackets Ghost. Yeah. What's what's in the name? It yeah, the name was actually um, it was a, a title that I, I had in my mind for a long time because we went to Barcelona, and then there was a 
we met uh, uh, some uh, some Spanish people there, and we were talking about different words, and then she was mentioning mentioning this word fantasma that means ghost in uh, Spanish, and then I just really liked the 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 word, so I thought I'm gonna use it for for peace. Uh, and then the whole uh, installation ended up being about like the ghosts of my life, about my family and uh, all the people that I lost. Because, mm. I mean, as I kind of alluded to in the intro, a lot of your work looks kind of bright and has a kind of cartoon-like quality to it. Yeah. And you've been inspired by folklore, by trolls. Um, uh, but it, but there's also this really personal streak running through it. I mean, I'm, this piece was inspired by... By your family, I'm right. In yeah, saying. yeah, 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 yeah. Can we talk a little bit about your background and, <laughs> yeah, and your yeah, family yeah, and, and yeah. where this where this kind yeah. of darker side comes from? Yeah, yeah. I um, I had uh, a bit of a difficult childhood, so I grew up in uh, in Denmark in a small town, and um, my father he was uh, he was an alcoholic, so he drank quite a lot in uh, in like periods of uh, of his uh, life. And uh, it also in, eventually it killed him. When I was 10 years old, he died. Uh, just he was a typesetter by trade. Yeah, he was a typesetter, yeah. Mm. And they, they, did, uh, they did drink a lot. And there was a lot of his colleagues that died uh, also around just the culturally, time. culturally, that's part of the job. Yeah, it's part of the culture. Mm. Yeah, they work at night. And it's, um, they were all like communist and working class. And it was just part of the whole kind of culture. Mm. <laughs> Socialist, mm. communist culture also that you drank a lot of beer, so... Um, but of course, he probably just drank a bit more than yeah. the other guys, <laughs> so it ended up killing him. Um, so I grew up with my mother, and uh, and my mother was um, she she was quite fragile. Uh, she she was uh, bipolar, right. um, but she actually she was only sick one time uh, before my father died. She was sick a couple of years before he died, um, and then she she was on medication for a long time, and then she got uh, sick again, just around the time I moved out of uh, my mother's uh, my mother's uh, place or where I grew up. Uh, and then after that, she was just in and out of hospitals the rest of her life, basically. Mm. Mm. So it's quite tough. Yeah, it was quite. Yeah, I was uh, like looking after her. So yeah. <laughs> and are there are there pieces that you can you can point to that there's a double headed piece? Yeah, the th that's is, very is much that... about my mother also. With the... she was a very sweet person, and they in when she was at the hospital, they always loved her. When I came to visit her, they were always ah, she was she's so sweet, and she was very sweet. But when she was manic, she was a demon also. Uh, she yeah, she was re she could be really really mean and. And, and just do completely crazy stuff. So many times I had to kind of just get her out of it. And like she spent all her money, for instance, in the weekend, just going partying with one of her crazy friends. Uh, and then I had access to her accounts because I was like uh, looking after her. So how old were you at this point? Uh, I was, uh, yeah, that was, I was probably like mid twenties. Yeah, mid twenties, like 20, Seven, mm. <laughs> 26, 27. Um, yeah, so so that was quite tough. It's like many times and she fell and then she got in hospital because she hurt her head. And yeah, there was there was a lot of stuff. When you were mentally ill, then you just get in trouble <laughs> all of the time. So you get used to it. That's the thing with children. They accept a lot of stuff. Right. So it's like, 
you accept it. You know, I love my mother, and she was she was very. Um, she sacrificed herself for the family for keeping everything together. And she was a teacher, was she? Yeah, no, she was a yeah, uh, no, she was a kindergarten uh, teacher. We call it in Denmark. She was working in a nursery. I guess nursery. Mm. What's it called in English? Yeah, primary school nursery. Yeah. Yeah, not we'll, in school, we'll get... but in a nursery. Oh, oh in nursery. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And she was very creative. Also, that's we did a lot of creative. Stuff. I was going to ask, yeah. were you making yeah. at, at home? Yeah, 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 yeah. And we had lots of materials uh, because also they got they always at the end of the year in the in the nursery they always had to spend a lot of money. Uh, the rest they had in the account, and then all the nursery teachers, they just got lots of, like, beads and <laughs> paper and stuff home. So we had tons of uh, stuff like that. So, yeah, there were lots of... And what, so what kind of things do. were you making? I was making... Uh, yeah, I was making clay stuff also. I was making, like, small uh, clay figures. I was making the Moomin. I remember uh, the old Moomin family with furniture and stuff. And I was making a lot of, uh, of uh, things out of paper, making, like, boxes and figures and... Yeah, all kinds. And then I was uh, crocheting a lot. So I was crocheting a lot of um, like um, toy animals because I loved uh, the toy animals, like soft toys. So I did that and clothes for them also. A lot of clothes I made. <laughs> and this interest in fairy tales, was that something that, that developed in childhood? Did that come later? I, that's uh, from my childhood, yeah. It's uh, yeah, the way I have all this with the, with the trolls, which are a big thing in Scandinavia. And it's quite intriguing that you um, you grew up in this quite rural environment. I mean, the town you're in was, was north of Copenhagen, I believe, is quite small. Yeah, it was, I guess, yeah, you would call it a small town. I guess it was a village. And then, like, in the late 60s, then they built a lot of uh, houses, like these kind of, we call them type houses, where mm. all the houses are. You, like, you know, from uh, it was Scissorhand, from the beginning of it, where you see all these, like, houses that look the same. Then they built that. A lot of houses, and that's the house I grew up in. One of those houses. Very different from the environment you're living in now. Yeah, there was a so the house I grew up in it was in this like neighborhood, a quite safe neighborhood. So we were, yeah, we were basically running around on our own all day. It's then you had a key, you know, or you came home for dinner. So and it was built uh, just where there was an orchard. So there was an old orchard with an old farm also that was just down the next to the neighborhood basically. And then there were fields around um, and there were forests also that you could walk across the field and then you were in the forest with like stone. There were stone settings there also, uh, like what they call dolmen, how they call that, with the three stones and a stone oh, okay. And uh, yeah, so I ran over there a lot. Yeah, and we went on a bicycle. And, yeah, There were cows also, I remember. And uh, when I walked to school, the, sometimes they jump over the fence and then they were running around on the, on the bicycle path. <laughs> so... But it's it's very different now there. Mm. So. Mm. But your first love wasn't clay; it was film, I, I believe. Yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah. So how did that? How did you get into film? You were a, a projectionist in the local yeah, cinema. Yeah, was. Yeah, right? yeah. But I always loved films. There were like in the small town where I grew up, there were cinema. So and they had in the summer. I remember they had these. Um, I don't know what you call it, like cavalcade, uh, like. Um, but they showed they showed like a film for two days and then another film. Um, so they showed a lot of like old films. So I remember I saw like Psycho there and yeah, old films like that. Uh, so I went there a lot. I just went there alone uh, to see the films because I liked some different films from uh, my friends. So so I did that. <laughs> so what were your friends watching? 
You were watching Psycho. What, yeah, I what watched were they Psycho. watching? I don't know what they were watching, <laughs> to be honest. I don't know. I don't know. I was a bit different. I, I liked the... Um, I liked all this like uh, goth rock and stuff like that. So I listened to Bauhaus and Joy Division and like my friends, they listen to something else. That I don't even know actually. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know what they listen to. I mean, did you feel different? Uh, yeah, I was, yeah, I did feel very different. Yeah. I had friends. It's not like I didn't have any friends, but it, I, I don't really think I had anybody to share my interest with mm. uh, before I started in uh, like high school. Then I met some people that had similar, that like similar music and yeah, similar films and stuff. Yeah. How did you go from film into ceramics, cinema into ceramics? Yeah, I worked. Uh, I worked many years as a projectionist, uh, first in uh, art house cinema, and then I was managing a cinema, also a commercial cinema. And then I, I just. Where was that? It was still in your hometown? No, it wasn't. No, it was. Uh, I moved to uh, the. Uh, like when I turned 19, I think. Then I moved to this bigger town that's called Hillerød, which uh, is the, the biggest town next to where I grew up. Uh, and there was an art house cinema, and I was working there also. And it was kind of a house of culture, so there were concerts and, yeah, a lot of death metal concerts and stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it was a cool place. And I, I spent quite a few years there, and I got a lot of friends there that I still have, actually, really good friends. Um and uh, and then from there I moved to Copenhagen and then I st- uh, and that coincided we when uh, getting a new job there and managing the cinema and yeah and that was like outside Copenhagen so it was like west of Copenhagen mm. but it was did you get to choose what films you showed if you're managing the cinema yeah but the thing is it, it was a cinema like um, in a part of uh, west west of Copenhagen uh, and it was in a mall so it was quite like commercial there was a lot of kids coming there and. It wasn't like the most interesting audience, I must admit. I tried to show some art house uh, films, but it, it was two people showing up every time, the same two people. So <laughs> it was, <laughs> yeah, I, I did I did try. And I did run really tired of the job. And uh, so, uh, yeah. So you're running the cinema. Yeah. But then you discover yeah, then ceramic. I, yeah, then I start doing ceramics together with a friend, uh, my best friend, Mede, and... Uh, and we started, it was probably like mid the uh, late 90s or something. We started doing ceramics in evening classes and uh, yeah, like Raku first. And then we started coming at a school where there was, where we could, uh, we could make ceramics. There was an old guy that ran kind of a little group there. And Did you take to it straight away? Was it, was it, were you immediately thinking, this is my medium, I've uh, arrived? No, uh, because all the first things I made, they all exploded, I remember. <laughs> all of them. <laughs> so I don't really have any. I made beautiful like sculptures of people and animals and they all exploded. So your first works were so, figurative? Yeah, it was figurative. All of it was, yeah. yeah it was animals and it was, uh, I made these dolls and yeah, it was, it was figurative, all of it, yeah. Like hand modeled. So, yeah. And when did you decide to give the cinema up and take up ceramics as a kind of living? Yeah, I did that when uh, when I had uh, my 30 year crisis. <laughs> so, <laughs> so your 30th yeah. birthday and you, yeah. you decided this is yes. it. Yeah. Then uh, yeah, then I've been doing ceramics for a while and I I was uh, also making uh, work that I already then actually that I sold at markets. Right. Um, like I changed, I, I started doing uh, like um, what's it called, the functional stuff, uh, slip cast vessels with the screen printed decoration, and I was already selling it. And then, yeah, I just quit my 
I got I got tired of my job and I quit it and then I just did ceramics uh, full time after that. So I started going in the studio every day instead of going to the cinema basically. Mm. So you had a, you had your own studio by this time? No, I didn't actually. Uh, it was a studio. It was in uh, Copenhagen. They have these different studios in the different areas. They still have that. <coughs> it's um, it's supported by the municipality, I guess. It's supported by stately money. Uh, so you just had to. You bought like a membership. It was like ten pounds a year, I think, and then you paid per kilo uh, of clay with firings and glazes. And there were lots. Of, I used a screen printing studio also. There were lots of different and sewing studios. And it was very good. So I was working there for many years actually, and selling my work also, even though it wasn't really allowed. But most of most of the people did that actually. Did it sell well? Yeah, it did. It did sell well. Yeah, it did. What was it about clay? Why that medium? Why so intrigued by it? Yeah, that's a bit of a mystery, actually. <laughs> um, yeah, what was it about it? It's uh, what I find fascinating about it is that it like that it stays uh, it stays the same, or that it's such a hard material that you can make something in clay and then you can fire it, and then it turns into a different material. I think maybe maybe that was it actually. Yeah, material that can stay the same for thousands of years. It's a, it's a tricky question. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, it is the point of the podcast, yeah. unfortunately. <laughs> it's a tricky material, mm. and I'm struggling with it still. Well, what, that's interesting. Why is it a tricky material for you? Because it's um, e- everything can go wrong with it. It's uh, it can, yeah, it can. Even though you've been really precarious, then it can still crack and. It can uh, do strange things after it comes out of the kiln too, or you can completely wreck it with putting a wrong glaze on. And but when it goes right, then it it can turn into something really beautiful and and something maybe you uh, you couldn't uh, you couldn't see before because you, there's this thing about putting it in the kiln and then there's a transformation and then it comes out again and and then you voila then you have something finished. Uh, so it's different different than working in a wood or stone or something, and that's I guess there's no there's no like turning back once it's in the kiln and then it comes out then you can't do anything more with it then it's finished so so yeah maybe I like that too. When did you realize that you needed to go to art school? If it, you, it sounds like you had this reasonably successful little business going on, but there was obviously uh, you decided to take a shift. Yeah, because I got bored of it also. <laughs> I'm a person I get very uh, easily bored. So after doing it, uh, I guess, maybe just a couple of years, I guess. Uh, then I uh, I thought, okay, now I've been doing uh, all this slipcast work and I'd want to learn more about uh, the different techniques ceramic uh, have and also about glazes and throwing and... So then I joined um, a foundation year. It's a, it doesn't exist anymore, uh, but it was part of the technical school. It was a foundation year you took as uh, if you wanted to be a potter, then you had to have an apprenticeship afterwards, like four years or something. Uh, right. But I just took the foundation year. And it was basically set up as a... Um, you, had, you work with projects, so it was almost like a, similar to what you would do in a BA. Um, so it was quite good preparation to apply for BA, and that's what I did uh, while I was doing the foundation year there. Because you went to Bonham, yeah. Which I yeah. mean, there are many listeners who won't know no. <laughs> where or what Bonham no. is. Can you can you can you tell us a little bit about it? It's this tiny island. Right? Yeah, yeah. It's it's not that small. It's like uh, just below forty thousand people living there. 
and it's a uh, Danish island, but it's in the Baltic Sea. Uh, so it's quite far away from the rest of Denmark. It's a rocky island, so it's uh, it's rock. Half of the coast is rock, and the other half is beautiful sand beaches. Mm. Uh, and it's very beautiful island, big big forest, and it's an amazing place. I yeah, I moved so I moved there. I got accepted in a course there, a three year course, and then I uh, I moved to this small fishing village. Yeah. In the summer, there's tons of tourists because yeah, they yeah. call it Sunshine Island. It's uh, supposedly the place in Denmark where there's the most sun hours. So, so there's a lot of tourists that come there. Polish mm. also now, and a lot of German tourists. A lot, boss loads of uh, German. A lot of pensioners also, and yeah, a lot of Danish people have summer houses there. It's amazing in the summer. It's mm. beautiful, and, and it's quite rough in the winter. Mm. And the course itself was quite. It's quite design focused, I guess you'd say. They were looking at. Uh, makers for industry in those days, I think I'm right in saying. Yeah, it was it was quite design based. Now I think it's a bit more free now, um, and also the I wouldn't I th- somehow it was quite free because it was uh, you could push the the projects you you could you could make sculptural work there if you just pushed it a bit. You always have to push things a bit, otherwise you never <laughs> you never get to do what you really want to. But uh, mm. but it was it was like focused on design basically. So you got there and you're making slip cast vessels. Yeah. When did you start making work that wasn't practical? Yeah, it was uh, like gradual. gradual um, it became very impractical, some of the work I did. Uh, and I also got quite uh, criticized for it in exams, I remember. I, I made very impractical uh, uh, series of jokes. Uh, for the first year exam, I remember, and, and it was they, they, you basically couldn't use them. They were really pretty though, and they were gas fired and they were like beautiful, like celadon like laces on, but they were just super impractical. Uh, so, uh, so were you rebelling against against yeah, the I was, system? Yeah, I was. I was the the functional work was trying to change form into something more sculptural. Yeah, and then then I thought in the second year because we had a work placement there. Um, that uh, I wanted to apply uh, uh, for work placement with a figurative artist because I wanted to get started on this figurative stuff. So, Which was Caroline Schmidt? Yeah, it was, yeah. And how important was she to your career? Uh, she was very important, actually. I saw, uh, I saw her work. It was just when I moved to Bornholm, and I saw her work in the biennial um, in the Bornholm. There's a ceramic biennial there, ceramic context, it's called. And I saw her work there, and I was completely drawn to it. So I emailed her, and then um, she luckily accepted. So... Uh, and then I spent uh, a yeah, month there, I think, or something like that, maybe a bit more. Yeah. But and it I, had quite a transformative effect, right? Yeah, it did, yeah. Because I made my first sculpture there, so I made a robot there. So, Which, I mean, the robots became, uh, well, you made quite a few of these. I mean, it's kind of the first time you came to kind of wider attention, I'd suggest, when you did um, a series called My Fucked Up Family. Yeah. Which included this kind of robot with a huge flaccid penis yes. kind of screaming yeah. in rage yeah. at yeah. the sky. Yeah. Um, I mean, Angry that's anyone. your father, I presume? Yeah, it is. Yeah, my fucked up father. Yeah. Yeah. So I made them, uh, I made this series. Uh, it was just after the rest, after um, I, um, I had the work placement there. So I had a residency at Gulagor, uh, which is a ceramic center in Denmark. And that's where I made the, my fucked up family. So... And what did you, I mean, obviously your father had passed away very sadly, but yeah. what did you, the other members of your family make of this work? My mother had also passed away. So right. because, yeah, she passed away, it was just 
just when I started on the second year, actually. So, um, so that was before I went to the work placement too. So the, only my sister left, uh, and I actually haven't shown the work to my sister. Your sister's <laughs> so, never seen it? No, uh, I don't know. She might have seen <laughs> on my website. She's not very uh, website-y, so she's not very online. Right. She doesn't have a Facebook profile and such, so she might not have seen it. So I don't know what she... I made her also. I made a sculpture of her. Right. Yeah. So was it cathartic making these pieces? Yeah, it was something I needed to get out, I think. And I still have them also. I don't think I can sell them. So I made my mother and uh, standing on the big pill, because uh, he had a lot of pills. Uh, and then my father, with his uh, stamp collection all glued onto his legs and beer caps uh, as a, like adornment. Um, and then my sister, yeah, I made. Um, yeah, it was it was something I needed to get out of my system, I think, yeah. And I, I don't think I would want to sell them. Right, right. It must have come as uh, quite a surprise to your tutors. You know, you, you, yeah. you, you're making vessels, however impractical yeah. they might yeah. have been or unfunctional. And then you go away and you come back and you create this work that is, well, figurative, obviously, but, but also dark and, and kind, mm. of, kind of angry in, yeah. uh, in places. What did yeah. they make of it? I, yeah, maybe they just thought it was a face or something. I don't know. I had a, I had a very difficult time uh, just because my mother just died mm. when I started on the second year, and it was very tough on me. Uh, also, my my uh, boyfriend that I'd been together with for eleven years, he uh, he uh, broke up with me, and that was like half a year before my mother died. So I felt completely uh, abandoned. Actually, I felt very lonely. Uh, so it was a very difficult time. So I think they were just happy that I actually. Like I just that I, I that I kind of could uh, could um, get get on with my life or like get it out of my system somehow. So did did it did you get it all out of your system? Yeah, I did actually. Yeah, so as as well as you do. Yeah, <laughs> it's still in there somehow. But uh, I guess I learned how to uh, like to live with it. So, but it, yeah, when somebody dies, they never disappear completely. You know, they they just it turns smaller. But it's still there. So, uh, when you finished at Bonham, were you always going to come to London? Was that part of the plan? Yeah, yeah. It was. Uh, it was actually a plan. Yeah. It was. I was uh, living in in this tiny. It was like a little fishing village, and I was doing this figurative ceramics, and I uh, I only felt that I only just started on it because I only it was only the like I only been working with figurative like sculptural ceramics seriously for like one and a half year at the, when I graduated. So I thought I need to, uh, I need to go somewhere else because I'm never going to make it else. I'm never going to be able to live of what I do if I stay in Denmark and uh, especially not if I stay in Bornholm in a mm. little fishing village. Mm. So uh, I, um, while I was doing the exam project in Bornholm, then I applied uh, for the Royal College of Art uh, and then I got accepted. So I was very happy. So I started just straight after, basically moved from the fishing village and then to London. Which is quite a leap. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Did, did you miss Denmark? Yeah, yeah. I, di I did go back to Denmark, actually, also, um, like in the holidays and stuff. So, But I, it was very tough, I remember, the first half year, especially. It's, I think it London was tough and I didn't know anybody here. And... Uh, the, the whole system, start, the whole the school system, the whole university system is completely different. 
from uh, Denmark. In Denmark, you could just talk with your tutors. You had like a crap day or something, you know. You could just uh, go to their office and just talk to them or just sit and chit chat or, you know, even the head of the school, you could just go in his office, you know, and uh, and it wasn't like that at RCA. It was all the, the tutors and professors. There were there was a hierarchy, which I wasn't used to at all. So I, I felt that was quite tough, actually. Mm. It was a bit cold, I, I feel. But it was just until you kind of got used to it, then, yeah. Because I remember seeing your work when you graduated in, what, 2011, I think it must yeah. have been. Yeah, it was. And it was uh, this kind of fireplace with, with yes. hearts <laughs> yeah. instead of logs. There was a burning sto- wood-burning stove um, with hearts instead of logs. Um, there was a kind of squirrel in one corner that was about to get, well, presumably attacked, eaten yeah, by, by yeah. these two yeah. these two snakes. There was these kind of quite phallic lumps of wood coming out of the the timber walls. Of, I mean, yes. and it, it was this bizarre. Uh, and I've said to you in the past that I, I kind of spent quite a long time looking at it, trying to work out if it was brilliant or or terrible, like a, a, <laughs> yeah. a set for a yeah. provincial panto or something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, um, I mean, the, the piece is, itself was called um, "Well, if I had a heart, I could love you." Yeah. Um, what was what was that? What was it about? Yeah, it was the title I uh, I stole actually from a Fever Ray song because I'd been listening to it while I was making the work, and then I thought it's really fitting. But it was about uh, the breakup with my ex boyfriend. Right. Yeah. So that was what it was about, and the idea it started with the fire, with the burning hearts, with the burning lock hearts. And it was an idea I had from my BA project where I made, in my BA project, I made this kind of like a spaghetti western uh, film as a sculpture. Uh, so I made uh, this little lonely figure that was traveling through uh, a, uh, like a desert with big cactus and, and out on new uh, adventures. It was like me going to London. Uh, but it was supposed to be one out of several scenes but then, of course, I ran out of time. So, And one of the scenes were going to be this, this kind of like a, uh, a cowboy uh, fire with burning hearts. And then I remember I was talking to my old professor in Bonholm about it, and he just thought it was so pathetic. <laughs> and then, <laughs> then I thought, okay, I can't make it then. And then I didn't make it. And um, then uh, when I graduated from, uh, when I was doing working on the project at the RCA, then I thought, okay, now I'm going to be master of arts. I'm going to make that uh, pathetic uh, bonfire and I'm going to make it really big. So that's how it started. And then it developed into this, everything built around the fire. But it started with the fire. Because it's very obviously uh, inspired by uh, fairy tales. It had a, a lot of... Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, I mean, North, that's North German, Br- Brothers Grimm, obviously. But it, it felt very inspired by by fairy tales. Um and very different from anything else that was there uh, for the rest of your year group. Yeah. What did everybody around you make of what you were doing? I don't, I'm not sure they understood it, really. Uh, I'm not sure they understood it. I, uh, I had um, Annie Catherall as a personal tutor, and I think s- I, she was really good uh, for me, actually. Mm. I think she understood it, uh, and yeah. But I'm not, I'm not sure... Uh, I'm not sure everybody <laughs> understood what I was. I'm not even sure I understood it myself, <laughs> actually. But yeah, which is quite brave. I mean, you, you, yeah. there is a tide that you're very deliberately swimming against. I mean, does that bother you? No, not really. No, no, no. 
I've, and I actually think the the like I think I understand less and less actually uh, with the newer work. Also, it's it's like it's uh, getting more and more hidden even uh, to myself actually the meaning. The of meaning, it. yeah. Mm. Because you'd moved also in, in in that period at the Royal College, you know, if you arrived making the, the kind of robots that you were making that were quite dark. Yeah. By the time you left the Royal College, the aesthetic had got brighter, kind of poppier. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. And uh, why? Why was that? Maybe it was because I was like flourishing, or I don't know. I guess I was somehow. I guess I was. I was. Um, I was like past the really tough uh, times, uh, and also I think it was good to move to another place. Like change of scenery is always good. Uh, so yeah, I guess I was yeah, I was getting out on the other side of it somehow. But yeah, I'm not sure actually. Yeah. <laughs> you had it's the city, or I don't know. Yeah, uh, you had a piece called Firewalk with Me around that time. Yeah, uh, which is obviously um, Twin Peaks reference. David Lynch. Yeah. Lynch was important to you at this at this point. Yeah, yeah, but he's he's been one of my favorite directors. Yeah, I love Twin Peaks, and yeah. What is it that you like about his work? I like uh, that it's quite like uh, direct or it's like he used a lot of like symbols in his films. Um, like I remember that Wild at Heart where there's the fire and it's almost it's almost like the Sergio Leone Western films where it's um, where it's like strong. There's a clock ticking. And I like that. I like simple things. So like when 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 there's strong symbols. Yeah. And this kind of relationship between the personal and the mythical has been a thread running through your work ever since, really. Um, in, in 2013, for instance, you did, I'm going to pronounce this incorrectly, yeah. uh, Skifting? Yeah, Skifting, yeah. yeah. Uh, which is Changeling yeah, it's in Yeah, it, it basically means Changeling. Yeah, yeah. so uh, there was a baby troll, uh, ceramic baby troll in a crib that secretly been, been left in the place of a human child. Um, and but that signified an important moment in your personal life as yeah. well, right? Yeah, and I. So did, what was going on there? Yeah, um, it was basically it was inspired also uh, by this book I had when I was a child um, that was called uh, In the Twelve Woods, which I've been working with a lot. It was a book I got from my grandmother, which is uh, with beautiful drawings by John Bauer, this um, Swedish uh, artist. Uh, the, he lived around 1900, and I love that book. And there's a lot of stories about changeling and trolls and all these Scandinavian stories. Mm. Uh, so initially, that I just wanted to make a bedroom for a changeling. Uh, and what I hadn't really been thinking about at the time, it was just when I met my partner, Silvan, uh, that has two kids from the previous marriage. And I, I, it just didn't come uh, come to my mind at all that it was, it was actually about that. It was about... Uh, like I turned 40 uh, at that time and it was about uh, not having any children of my own and being a, a stepmother for, for his children and, and coping with that. And yeah, and I didn't really realize when I was making the installation, I thought oh, it was just a, a bedroom for, <laughs> for a changeling. And, yeah. So subconsciously, yeah, you're, you're I see, taking yeah, things it was. from your personal life. Yeah, it, it was. And I remember me and Sylvain, we... Um, there was this crib in the installation, a really beautiful, like old uh, 1950s crib for a baby. And uh, I was looking, I spent so much time looking on, 
on uh, eBay for baby cribs, and I was so afraid that he would think that I was like, uh, what's it called, Skorky, it's called in English, that I wanted a baby. Getting broody. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, and I remember we went, we drove together and picked it up in the countryside, and I was just the first thing I said to the guy there, I was like, it's one art installation. It's like, I didn't want him to think it's because we're going to have a baby or something. <laughs> I was so scared of that. But yeah, that's what the installation was about, basically. But sometimes I only realize... Maybe I'm a bit stupid, I don't know. I realize afterwards. But you pick things up from around you, your your life as well. Django, your dog, yeah. appears quite regularly in your work. Yeah, he's, uh, yeah, he features a lot in my work, yeah. yeah. He's, uh, he's always there with me, so I can't help it. It's, uh, mm. I have this quite vivid inner life, and then I also read a lot, and then I have this dog always... Uh, sitting looking up at me when I look down and so I just can't help he just sneaks into the to the work all the time so when you talk about a, a vivid inner life is is that daydreaming yeah it is daydreaming yeah I yeah I've been doing that a lot since I was a child and, hmm. and I, d- I did the drawing a lot when I was a child I was gonna was, say do you draw now yeah but it, I try I try and force myself to do it again uh, but I haven't been doing it for for many years because I started doing ceramics and then I kind of stopped. So you don't, that's quite interesting. You don't draw the heads or the, say this, this totem pole that you've created for the Beyond the Vessel show, you wouldn't have drawn that first. How, how does your process start? No, I made, I made a model. Right. Yeah. So I, uh, I actually made several uh, like kind of small heads and then I found out which ones were good. So yeah, it's a bit like trial and error and, but yeah. So I sit and I make small models, basically, kind of rough ones. As your relationship with clay changed over the years, technically you're very adroit with it. That's taken years to master, presumably. So has the way you worked with clay changed? Nah, yeah. Yeah, maybe after I, um, after I learned more techniques, then, um, then I guess I've, I kind of experimented more also. Um, so, so I, I guess I didn't really do that that much in the beginning. Then I was just like, I was modeling uh, figures and stuff. But I didn't really use that many different uh, techniques like decoration and and uh, also, 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 I use quite a lot of alternative tools also. Uh, so Ooh, what do you use? That sounds intriguing. <laughs> alternative <laughs> like tools. Secret tools. Secret tools. Yeah. <laughs> That are, that are meant for other things sometimes, not really clay things. Are you gonna? T- can you reveal what some of those might be? No, I like to have secrets. I think so. I like to keep them actually, but um, but I I think I I do more and more like experimentation, and uh, I'm more like more and more playful, and also I play a lot around with the clay a lot, and um, and see what comes out of it. And I've become more analyzing of what I do. So I, I can sit and do small uh, s- experiments with modeling or whatever. And then I analyze what I do. And then I try and alter a little movement or something and then see what happens. And that's definitely something i developed over the years. Um, is there a danger, do you think, that people misinterpret or what you do or don't look beyond the surface? Does that bother you? Don't don't know the, the personal stories that are kind of lodged deeply in there? No, I don't think it's necessary to know them. I think actually, uh, I think it can, uh, it, it can prevent uh, people uh, to really uh, experience the work 
sometimes if I tell them what it's about for me. Because then you you cut away some of the the other things that it could be uh, about for them, you know. Because I don't think you need to know anything about the work really. Um, I know people really want to know what it's about, but I think sometimes it's uh, it's not good to know what it's about. Mm. Do people tell you what they think it's about? Yeah, they do. Yeah, a lot. And, and does that are there things that elements that surprise you? I wonder when they they talk about what they the feelings that it drags out in them. No, uh, no, because often it's something to do with childhood. I feel that it's often something to do with childhood, or like some film they've seen, or some stories, or yeah, it's often. Uh, and for me, it's also a lot of it. It comes from my childhood, so hmm. yeah. So I, th I think it's very natural. So our time is nearly up. Yeah. Um, obviously, you have this major show at Messens that we've talked about. Yeah. But what else are you doing? Uh, do you have plans for the future? Yeah, I have a big show in Denmark at the Clay Museum, which is the big national uh, ceramic museum. Uh, and that is uh, 2021. I know it seems a uh, long time. It's like in March it opens. And it's together with Phoebe Cummins also. Uh, okay. And a Danish ceramicist called Marianne Nielsen. And we're going to work with the collection. They have a big collection of Royal Copenhagen and Bing and Grondal ceramics. And we're going to work uh, uh, making, uh, making work responding to the collection there. It's a collection of Art Nouveau ceramics by uh, an artist called Effie Hegerman Lindenkrone. And uh, she is my favorite uh, artist that worked at the... She's actually from Bing and Grondal, which was later merged with the Royal Copenhagen. But it's very beautiful work. And uh, I, I loved uh, her work since I started, actually, on my BA course, where I, I saw her work at the at the, the Design Museum in Copenhagen. So I'm really looking forward to work with the collection. So that's 2021 that's going to happen? Yeah. Well, we should look out for that. Marlene Hartmann Rasmussen, thank you very much for your time. You're very welcome. And to learn more about Malena Hartmann Rasmussen's work, go to malenahartmannrasmussen.com. There are images from the interviews, as well as little films and other things on my Instagram page, Grant on Design. If you've enjoyed listening and want to see this podcast flourish, then please rate and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to this from. And go to my Patreon page and make a pledge. You can find that at patreon.com forward slash material matters. You'll be helping to take the message of the importance of materials, skill, craft and design to a whole new audience. Thanks very much for listening. <laughs>